there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Pure Hoops podcast. I am your co-host, Eric Newman. Alongside me, the one and only BJ Armstrong. BJ, so great to finally be digging in for our first show. Eric, it is fantastic to be here. It's been a long time coming. And I'm really looking forward to getting the show, and uh, let's get started. On our first episode, we will go into the challenges that have been facing the Boston Celtics, the incredible streak that James Harden has been on, and of course, the return of Boogie Cousins Friday night in L.A. as the Warriors take on the Clippers. This is the Pure Hoops Podcast. Time to check ball. The Pure Hoops Podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast is brought to you by Pure Hoops Media, a new basketball community you are now a part of. Our weekly podcasts explore the world of hoops from every perspective. Besides this show, the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman, our other shows are The Wise-Ass Show, featuring Mike Wise, and Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. In Mike Wise's first show, Jamal Crawford spent 50 minutes with him and made some news saying he would like to run a team of his own. After you finish this show, check out The Wise-Ass Show wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends. They'll thank you, and so will we. So, BJ, as it's our first show, I was, I was sitting watching the game last night, As you know, I am a a lifelong Boston Celtics fan. I am uh, an optimist, which I think has been a a work in progress for a long time. I'm trying to see the glass half full, and I'm thinking about what we're going to talk about today and scratching some notes. And the the first thing that I really want to get into, and you have such a unique uh, POV on this from from living it and and being involved in the game from so many different – uh, points of view and, and obviously positions is the the development of the championship DNA and climbing that mountaintop. Where are the Celtics now in your eyes, and what do they have to do to keep this thing moving upward? Well, the the, the championship DNA for the Celtics really started last year with the expectations of that this team could be pretty good. Unfortunately, for better or for worse, they had significant injuries to Kyrie Irving and Hayward uh, going down the stretch. But that gave their younger players, Tatum and you know Jalen Brown, an opportunity to step up and really gain valuable experience as young players in this league, which there's no replacement, right? You can watch all the film you want to watch. You can talk to your coaches and do all of the basketball training but nothing replaces in-game experience, especially at the playoff level. Uh, they were able to advance, uh, and that was great for them. You know, phase two now is being able to mesh all of their talent together in a cohesive way and to believe in the system and the process which they're about to go through. I think right now they're hitting some bumps in the road that people have been talking about. Um, maybe they're not playing up to their true potential. But as any championship caliber team will tell you, it's never going to be easy. And not only you're dealing with the, you know, the other team, the opposing team, you're dealing with the internal conflicts that you have to deal with, especially playing at a championship level. You know, uh, Kyrie seems to have evolved as the leader of the team. Um, I think he's the one that probably has taken on the most responsibility. And then it's important for the other guys, if you're going to have a leader and a person who's able to accept that responsibility, it's just as important that the other players accept being, you know, being led, you know, and this isn't something that you just pass off. So they're going through their growing pains internally as a group, which is good. And uh, that was a big win for them last night against the Toronto Raptors. 
And as you we mentioned earlier off air, you know, it looked like a playoff type atmosphere. So I think that was a good test for them. I think as the season goes on, they'll begin to play with the expectations and learn how to handle that. And then we'll see how they're able to advance, especially when you get into playoff time when you had to win four out of seven games. You know, there's a lot of noise out there. The closed-door team meetings, obviously, you know, speculation around Kyrie's free agency was looming as they started the season, and he confirmed he wants to be there for the long run. And, you know, most recently he he calls LeBron James to apologize for being difficult as a young player because now he is experiencing, you know, what it's like to try to lead. When you were with the Bulls and you were trying to climb that mountaintop, and what I love about that era was the domino effect in the East. You know, you had to, to start the decade, obviously, you had Philadelphia, the Celtics trying to knock off the Sixers. They finally did. Then the Pistons are the upstarts. They're trying to knock off the Celtics. They eventually did. And then, of course, the Bulls challenging the Pistons. And your first year was the, the third matchup uh, in the playoffs the year before the your first title. So what was it like trying to climb that mountaintop and evolving and what's the commitment like every single day to trying to reach that level well when you're when you're reaching for that level you know the first you you have to learn how to persevere in this league and what i mean by that is you don't really focus in on the results that you're looking to get you know everyone at that level uh that's has an opportunity to possibly advance, let alone win a championship. You know, that's easy to say we want to become champions. What you focus in on is the day-to-day process of saying, you know what, this is what we have to do today. And you learn how to meet the challenges of every moment, every game, every week, every month. And then you put that all together and you go into the playoffs and you – play from the standpoint of learning what it really means to, to say that the score is 0-0. Zero, zero. And the one thing that I that I took away from my years at the Bulls and as an ex-player is that the score is always 0-0 zero, zero at a championship level. You never get up. You never get down. You're never up by 10. You're never down by 10. You play each possession. And that's very hard for young players to learn is that how to play a possession. You know, we focus in on a report the score of the game, but in the playoffs, possessions matter. And once a team finds a weakness in the playoffs that maybe you can or you can't do, that possession or that sequence will determine the outcome of a series. So uh, learning how to put value in every pass, learning how to just get open properly to get the proper spacing to make an entry pass into the posts or – to run your player, what have you, in the playoffs is a totally different ball game. So I, I think what young teams will learn, and the, I think the Warriors right now are playing at the highest level, they know how to play possessions. Okay, They don't worry about playing a great game. Let me play this possession, and let me play that possession, and let me keep continue. And, you, and after, after 48 minutes, those possessions add up to a great game. And I thought that was the difference the other night when you watch the Warriors play and what they did against the uh, Denver Nuggets. They came out and played every possession as if it mattered. And Denver, I don't think had, I don't think they've seen that level of excellence, sustained excellence by a great team. So playing possessions is, is what you try to do. That's what I've taken away. And I look for teams who can focus in on the process and not worry about the results. You know, we were recording the first episode of uh, one of our other shows, uh, the Catch and Shoot podcast, and I was sitting in on it, and I had the game on, <clears throat> and I could not believe what I was watching in that first quarter. Just, they flipped the switch, like we've seen them do so many times, and as well as Denver has been playing, they don't yet have that experience to know exactly what what you just mentioned there, and you know, wrapping, putting a bow on the Celtics. I mean, that's Brad Stevens' philosophy, right? It's it's win every day in practice, win every possession. Last year in the playoffs, I felt like they really 
um, they were they were living that, but there was a certain grit and a certain attitude to those guys, and maybe because they were counted out. And obviously, it starts with guys like Marcus Smart and Al Horford um, was a, a different player in the playoffs last year, and he's been struggling with a, a little bit of a, a knee issue and on a minutes restriction, which was lifted last night. But it just seems like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and we've seen Hayward turn the corner a little bit, but they're still trying to figure out consistency with Kyrie as the general and it's it's an evolving thing but I, I think there's been an overreaction to this kind of struggle and figuring out their new identity just just to end the conversation on the Celtics w- what do you think about identity and what it's like when you have to adjust your role a little bit when a when a leader comes back well I think you hit it there when you said leader and leadership and Brad Stevens as we've been able to observe over the since he really came in the league you know he's a terrific young coach he has very creative things that he does offensively uh, and he's been able to play and get teams to perform which is which is great Um, playing with expectations is a totally different game and I think they're all going through that as a unit you know coach Stevens now is having to coach with the expectations, you're supposed to win that game. That's a different ball game. With that comes the complacency of the players because now they have to find ways to motivate themselves. You know, uh, this team has been together. Uh, they have veterans, Al Horford and Kyrie Irving, where, you know, there are no more pep talks for them. Now it's about finding the effort and energy necessary to play every game and finding that. Uh, this team is 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 going to have to figure out what every great team has figured out. You know, they have some terrific offensive players, especially young players. And we put a lot of focus in the media, and we put a lot of focus in highlighting the offensive player. But every great team is built the same way. Um, they have to defend, they have to rebound, and they have to share the ball with one another. And that has to be the core of who you are as a group. And um, the Warriors get a lot of publicity. They get a lot of, you know, people talking about them on talk shows. You know, here on our podcast, we talk about the Warriors and their ability to score. But when you look at the Warriors, what they're able to do is they can get stops when they need stops. And that's a, that's a huge, huge advantage when you can rely on your defense every single game to keep you in the game or extend the lead that you have, especially when you're shooting well. Um, so if you can defend, and then once you have that great defensive possession, you can secure the rebound to end the possession. That's key. If you keep giving multiple shots, then you're still playing defense. So you have to defend, you have to rebound, and of course you have to be unselfish. You have to share the ball, pass the ball with one another to the open man to get the best available shot. So I think the Celtics are moving towards that. The identity can't be we can just outscore the opponent, a la right now the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets are a phenomenal, phenomenal offensive team. Once the Houston Rockets, and I think they are committed, and you, I, you saw their struggles earlier in the season. Yeah, they can score. They can score with the best of them. But can they get any stops? Because defense is what keeps you in the game. That's the consistent thing that you can do for 82 games during the course of a year. And, the, and going back to the Celtics, that's who they are. They are Marcus Smart and the, the Morris kid and Al Horford. Those guys are defensive players first. And if they can hone that as their identity along with the wonderful offensive players they have, Kyrie and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I think then and only then will they reach their true potential as a team because defensively you have to have that as your core if you're going to advance far and deep into the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that identity. And, and you've said this before in some of our conversations and show planning and just – kind of walking through how we want to mold the show and, and talk about the game, you need 
competitors out there. You need scrappy guys that are going to give it all on both ends of the floor. But for the Celtics and why they had the year they did last year, it started on defense. And I love the point you make about rebounding and finishing possessions because so many people look at rebounding as just its own individual stat. No, it's a defensive stat, obviously, unless it's an offensive rebound. It's a defensive stat. You've got to finish possessions and get the ball or else you're scrambling and trying to close out on kickouts off offensive rebounds. And we've seen it so many times how many teams will make a dagger three off of an offensive rebound and just break the back of the opponent. You pivoted exactly where I wanted to go, actually both places, talking Warriors and talking Rockets. Before we get to the um, the unbelievable streak of James Harden, the reason why we're able to sit together in, in the same room this week is, you know, I've been lucky enough to be making the uh, the DeMarcus Cousins documentary with uh, with Showtime, which has been uh, quite a quite a filmmaking journey, uh, which of course has such a heavy crossover with basketball. So. Um, as we're recording this in Los Angeles on, on Thursday, and our show will be dropping on Friday, the same day as the Boogie Cousins return, um, how do you see him fitting in with the Warriors? But also, how do you see his teammates, and obviously you, you work with Draymond Green, how do you see his teammates working with him and how much of a, a, a lift and a boost is this going to give the Warriors? Well, you know, being close with the situation and working with a few of the players uh, up there in Golden State, uh, in particular Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, you know, I had a chance to speak with Draymond recently about it. Uh, last week I was up there, happened to be in, 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 in the Bay Area, and we spoke briefly about it. They're really excited about him, about what he brings. Uh, Draymond has been raving about his work, his dedication of what he's doing. And, uh, and when you look at him, you know, he, you know, he's a big man. He looks great. I mean, for a person who's been out basically almost a year now yep. or a little over a year, he looks terrific. Um, he's engaged. He's been around the team. He's had an opportunity to observe the team, obviously from the bench, but working with the guys. And they know Boogie. Okay, they've they've in the Olympics. Some of them participated in the Olympics. I think he was with uh, Draymond and Clay and Kevin and those guys in the Olympics. So it's not like you're just meeting someone for the first time. They're excited, very excited about him. Draymond in particular because bigs love to play with other bigs. And Draymond is a big man himself, but to play with another big body, I think Draymond is going to relieve some of the pressure of having to bang with you know, the other centers in the league. And I think the big thing for Draymond this year is he's been having to play – you know, he's used to playing center, but he's been playing an un what I would say a considerable more – amount uh, than he has in years past at the center position, which at some point he's, even though he can handle it, I think, you know, he's not a center. It's going to wear on you. It's going to wear on you at some season. point. So I, he's really, really excited. And I think you saw the yesterday with his, with his announcement, right? <laughs> which, uh, you know, was pretty funny. All hell's going to break loose. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the, the thing with Bookie is going to be the mindset of not expecting too much because physically, no matter how much you work as an athlete, no matter how much you train, nothing replaces the game. And I think for him, it's just to, just let's find out five or 10 games where your body is at. How are you, he's gonna be great tomorrow night. His adrenaline is gonna be flowing. He can't wait to get his first touch. Knowing him as a big, you always, you enjoy getting your first foul because it's contact, you can't, duplicate that in practice um knowing boogie he's probably excited about getting his first technical arguing with the officials to let them know he's back as well but i think overall i'm really i'm interested to see how his body responds how is he going to feel on saturday morning yeah well it's that's, it's, it's 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 the body response how long that's going to take but how long until that rhythm is, is consistent, and it's obviously tough to put a window on it, right? But that's the thing. Like, 
the the work he's put in is unreal. The 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 footage that uh, my team has shot, what I've seen live, the commitment, speaking to his surgeon, the doctors, like it's it's unbelievable what he's done considering where he was on January, late January, last year. But how long does it take? in your opinion, to get that rhythm back where it's natural? Well, it's going to take him a time. It's going to take time for him. This isn't a minor injury like where he strained his calf or, you know, you know, uh, you know, like tendonitis or something. You know, he's had a significant injury. So this is going to take time. And, it's gonna, and now he's trying to integrate his talent into a new team, to a new mindset, a new philosophy. Let's remember... He hasn't played in this system. This is a, a new system for him. And there's a lot of changes. Boogie hasn't had the expectations of winning a championship thus far in his career. This will be the first time, let's, let's be honest, this will be the first time he'll actually be in the playoffs. Never played in a playoff game. Okay. So this is a new experience. I think the more patient he is with himself, the better he will be. You know, the boogie of old, we know what he's capable of doing. Now, I always go back to Derrick Rose. When Derrick Rose was hurt, this is going to take some time, right? You got to trust your body. You don't just have an injury like that and suddenly just come back into the fold as if nothing happened. It takes time, not only physically, mentally. Okay, this is a very unforgiving league. There are other players are going to, go at him and that's my next question if you're the opponent and with how much uh pick and roll is being run in this league right now are you trying to put him in as many uncomfortable defensive positions as possible when, you, when well, you're playing the warriors and boogies well, on the what court? you're trying to do is now uh, this is probably the strategy the the coach side of of knowing what this league is all about the first thing i want to find out or opposing teams are going to find out are what difference is he going to make, for better or for worse, on the defensive end? We can all talk about what he can do offensively. Defensively now, they're going to be a different defensive team with Draymond as the five and Draymond as the four. They're going to be a different team with Kevin Looney playing as a starter than Boogie Cousins playing as a starter. So the first thing I want to find out is how they're going to be in transition. Can Boogie actually get up and down? Because the Warriors aren't what we call a, you know, they're not a, a setup type offense, okay? No. Half ball will shoot. Yep. So which means their transition defense has to be premium, which puts an unusual amount of stress on their conditioning. There's no way Boogie can be in this condition. I don't care how many sprints he's run. Steph Curry gets hot. He's shooting... There's nothing that can duplicate that pace in a game. So the first thing I want to find out, can Boogie actually play in the pace of the game? That's the first thing. If I'm the opposing team coach, the second thing I want to find out, are they going to switch? How are they going to defend now with Boogie? Because Draymond can guard the other team's point guard. But are they going to switch now with Boogie as a starting five? Which Which is something very minor, but it's a major thing because it... It it, 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 it it throws off how they've been so great over the years. They haven't had a player like Boogie that wasn't able to Right. They're one of the they're one of the teams that established this new we're gonna switch every, as much as possible due to our versatility, yes. our length, our foot speed. So with Boogie in those pick and roll situations, you can switch it, you can trap it, you can hedge it and recover. Never. But what it does for Draymond to captain the defense and call that stuff out, not being in the action but being in help. I well, do think that's gonna that's gonna play a well, big Draymond role. Well, Draymond has always been an anchor. He's an anchor on the defensive end, uh, and he's figured out. Draymond is what I consider Lawrence Taylor. He is. You, you, he figures it out. He starts off maybe as the middle linebacker, and he figures out what you're doing, and he gets himself or Steve and the staff. But he always gets himself involved in the play. He's Lawrence Taylor. And it's, it's really, when I watch him play, I just, I'm always, I always admire him because he figures out how to defend 
the final possession of the 24-second shot clock. Draymond will somehow end up wherever the ball will end up when the person is ready to shoot. Hmm. It's, it's, I don't know if he has a knack for it, because I always ask him, and he just says he figures it out as the game goes on. And he makes his he makes his adjustment always after after halftime. Well, he he reads pattern and flow. He, 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 he the just, best in the game defensively. He, he just figures it out. Now, I mean, have you told Draymond that he's like Lawrence Taylor out there on the floor? He yeah, I, I compare because I asked him like I've I've never seen a player do this. Like, right. you know, you're a center, and all of a sudden, at the end of the shot clock, he gets on Damian Lillard. Right. Okay. I watched him play last night against the Pelicans. He just figures out, and when the ball gets to Anthony Davis, somehow he gets there. And he figures out how to get to the other team's last seven seconds of the, of the shot clock on every possession. And it's really it's, – it's, it's kind of a – he's like a basketball savant in that way. He just figures out what you're trying to do, and then he gets himself there. So last thing on Boogie, uh, of KD, Dre – Steph and Clay, who benefits the most immediately from Boogie's return? Is it Draymond? I think it's Draymond because now Draymond will have a, a partner in crime down there in the paint. You know, in the end, this game gets a lot of, you know, talk and headlines about being small ball, about three-point shooting. But in the end, you need bigs. You got to be able to control the paint, and uh, they've always benefited from having really solid bigs. Whether that was David West, Javale McGee, uh, Andrew Bogut, they've always had a solid big that played, you know, Zaza Pachulia, that played his part to battle when the other teams came big. You know, Stephen Adams and those guys, they're big men and Joel Embiid or whoever, wh- whomever they have to see. So I think Draymond will benefit the most. I think the players that will benefit outside of the starters, you know, Clay, KD, and Steph, they're going to score their points regardless. I think the group that's going to benefit from them is going to be from Boogie's return will be the bench because I really see Boogie anchoring the second unit. Mm-hmm. Adds to that depth and 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 that's cuts cuts some minutes down, down for the starters. Cuts the minutes, so I think Boogie will actually give them an identity, especially on the offensive end, because you can play through him. You know, Boogie gets a lot of you know accolades for him being a great offensive player, but he's a terrific passer, and I think you can play through him, whether it's at the high post because he can shoot, he can shoot threes, and we all know he's. He's a low down there on the post. And I think as the game slows down, especially with the second unit, I can see Steve Kerr and the staff saying, we're just going to play through him and pound the opposing team's backup center and let Boogie work. And get in the bonus and And get to the line. And now that gives them a team that you haven't seen. Well, they've never had that element. They've never. And now you put that in with what they have. And instead of having 50 points, now you probably got 65 points in a quarter because Boogie is a load. He is a load. And I don't see any way to stop him if he's continuing to get the touches that he deserves on that box. So I think it's going to be figuring out the balance with this coaching staff. But I think Boogie's mind is in the right place. I've never seen him. I've been seeing him for years or knowing him for years. He's really engaged. And I know this – this this group, they have great leadership, and I know they understand the power of now and what he brings to them right now. And if he clicks or when he starts clicking, they're already a phenomenal team. With Boogie there, they could be considered one of the greatest teams ever with him. And I just think it's a matter of time that he'll figure out where he's going to fit in but I can see him immediately being and anchoring that second unit. And if he can do that, this league is in some real trouble. Yeah, and the, the last thing I want to add on that is I don't think the general NBA fan, well, the, the quote-unquote the public, I don't think they have any idea how good of a passer this guy is. 
and the basketball IQ is at another level. And listen, you play in Sacramento for that long. You play in New Orleans, which wasn't a major market. I mean, he was having crazy games in New Orleans, 40-20 uh, games, uh, three triple-doubles before he got hurt. He can really pass the ball, and, and that's something he shared with me, both sitting down for interviews and behind the scenes. He can't wait to get out there and just pop that ball around to those guys. Yeah, and, and – you know, the one thing I hope for Boogie, and, and, and I'm, I'm a fan of him because I, I love bigs. I, I love bigs who can score, and he's versatile. And the one thing that I, I'm really wishing for him is not to be a good teammate, but to be a great teammate because that's really important. It's really important as a player. It's really important for your relationships that you have. And when it's all said and done as a player, you know, you'll remember – these moments and this is a significant moment for him and I, I just hope he understands and like any player the importance of being a great teammate not a good teammate a great teammate because that is the most important thing you know as a player you, you walk away you walk away from the game every player from the last guy on the team to Michael Jordan or LeBron James you know, hopefully you walk away with some friends you've made over the years. Hopefully you have an opportunity if you play in this league for a little bit, you can save a little bit of the income that you made and you walk away with a little money. And then the last thing you walk away with is just memories of the game. You know, people walk up to me all the time and go, hey, can you still shoot? I go, no, I can't shoot anymore. If I can still shoot, I'd still be playing. But the memories that I had of being a great teammate that allowed me to – display the talent that I had those are priceless moments for me because I it, it takes it takes teammates it takes an effort to do that so I just hope that Boogie understands or Boogie experiences the one of the joys of this league is to is to become a great teammate because he has some great teammates Steph Curry look he's phenomenal at shooting he plays the game with a sense of joy that's infectious. I mean, when you watch him last night when he's scoring eight threes or whatever he's doing, you're just as excited for him. And his teammates are so excited for him. That's something that I think he's probably learned probably from his dad. Yeah. Is the, it, well, what it means to be a great teammate is just, well, it's, it's such a joy. And, uh, and, and I just hope that Boogie appreciates that because he has some great teammates right now and and this is a priceless moment for him and a very key moment in his career. Great teammates, great memories, great relationships. I mean, I think that's what brought us here together to do this Absolutely. show, which, which we'll, we'll talk a lot more about uh, as we continue to build the Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. We'll be right back. Time for a word from Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast with myself and BJ is just one of three shows from Pure Hoops each week. Make sure to check out Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko and the Wise-Ass Show with hoop scribe extraordinaire Mike Wise. Adam and Noah have Hall of Famer Rick Barry on their first show, and as expected, he has some get-off-my-lawn moments. Check out Catch and Shoot right now after you finish the Pure Hoops show with me and BJ. And check out The Wise-Ass Show with Mike Wise and Jamal Crawford. Please subscribe, please share, and be sure to tell all your Hoophead friends. Big thank you from Pure Hoops Media. So, last season, Warriors on the ropes. Rockets are one win away from the NBA Finals. James Harden, MVP year, but as you know, very well. You can't do it alone. Chris Paul goes down. The Warriors win game six and game seven. And the Houston Rockets do not advance after winning 65 games and having the MVP. They lose some key pieces in the offseason, some pieces that were part of that identity that you were talking about earlier in terms of getting stops and championship DNA and doing whatever it takes. P.J. Tucker, Trevor Ariza specifically, they start the season, they are not the same team. Chris Paul 
goes down. Eric Gordon, who had started to play well, gets hurt. And then all of a sudden, James Harden flips this switch that, as great as he was last season, it's a new level now, this scoring streak that he's on. What have you seen from Harden and, in turn, a depleted Rockets team right now without Chris Paul, without Eric Gordon, and now without Clint Capella? Well, the one thing that I've seen and that has made this very interesting as I watch this run that he's on, and it's an incredible run. It's an amazing run. You know, at the beginning of the season, as you mentioned earlier, you know, they brought back a, what I consider a very key piece to why they had success last year. Jeff Bezelik, I think I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, uh, their assistant coach who was behind the scenes, they brought him back. Now, it was kind of a minor. He was a Denver Nugget, wasn't yes, he? he was great, Denver. great mustache. Right around the time that Carmelo left, they bring Jeff Bezelik back. Now, why is that key? Because every offensive player and every great offensive team understands that it's easier to score after a stop than it is you're carrying, getting the ball when the other team is scoring. Their commitment to the other end of the ball has created this space and opportunity for a great offensive player like James Harden to score. Now, they've made a recommitment, if you will, back to the defensive end. They've figured out, we actually have to stop and work at this in order to be good. Just because we were good last year doesn't mean we we're going to be good this year. Every year is a different year. And I think they got a little beside themselves, thinking that, well, we were good last year. We'll just walk through it and outscore people this year. No, that's not how it works. You still have to, you know, you got to grind, especially every, on the, every day, every day. So their commitment back to the defensive side of the ball, to me, has allowed their offense to flourish. Because, you know, for all of the accolades and, you know, things you talk about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan was a first team all defensive player every year. Every year. That's what allowed him to be a 32-33 career score for his career because we all knew then, we all know now, that it's easier to score when you're rebounding the ball than to score when you're taking it out of out of the net. I, I'd love to see the breakdown, and we'll work on this, but when you guys were at your peak, 91-92-93, like the breakdown of – Points in transition, turnovers. Obviously, everyone talks about the triangle. Everyone talks about the versatility. Everyone talks about MJ being unstoppable. But the defensive identity it's... of your Bulls teams, and obviously, and we talked about it earlier in the show, it's, it's okay, this is the team we're trying to knock off. You guys are trying to knock off the, the, the bad boy Pistons. And they had that identity, and they forged that persona from trying to knock off the Celtics, and, and, and on it goes through history. So my question for you is tying back to those Bulls teams, Jordan specifically, was there ever a stretch that you can remember, whether it's your first year or the three championship years, where regardless of who the opponent was, what they tried to do, Michael was just in this mode where – he, he could not be stopped at any point. A, a similar streak and window to what we're seeing from Harden now. I know the errors are different, but I just, I'm just i curious to hear where your mind goes back to. Yeah, I, I just want to make one quick point before answering that. Going back to the Rockets. I think the Rockets are going to... It's going to be interesting to watch the Rockets moving forward with Clint Capella being hurt. Because now you lose a rim protector. And I think that's going to be important here for them moving forward and determining their success, wins and losses moving forward. You know, Jordan, to answer your question, Jordan was just a different animal. This isn't someone, you know, I'm saying, I don't, I don't like to, like, well, this generation, that generation. Every generation has its 
you know, the game back then was a different game. Mm-hmm. It's not fair to compare the game today, right? It's not fair to compare. Full agreement. Full agreement. Okay. But the one thing about Jordan that he had a different approach and mindset to the game. It wasn't enough. Some players, I remember him, one of my favorite Jordan stories was he didn't like to talk trash on the offensive end. He only liked to talk trash on the defensive end. He said, it's easy. And I asked him why one day. He said, it's easy to talk if you're an offensive player. That's easy. If you got it going, Hmm. he was like, okay, if I got the ball right here, what am I going to do? I was like, good point. It's a great point. He's like, but if you can talk trash on the defensive end, that's where the players live. Now, I just thought that was an interesting way of looking at the game in the world. The guy scores 35, 40 points. And how many times do you see that guy talking trash? Jordan only liked to talk trash on the defensive end because he thought that the player who could actually stop the other player were, was where the money was at. That's and I, where the big boys live. And, and I can't imagine the mind game of he's getting 35 or 40, right. and then defensively he's locking you up and telling you about yeah, it. No. So I said, well, what's the mindset to have as a player? He said, BJ, if you score and I score, what's the score? I said, it's 2-2. If I don't score and you don't score, what's the score? 0-0. The mindset of a champion, he told me, is always 0-0. I'm not worried about scoring because I know you're not going to score. Now, that gave me the confidence as a young player to know that I didn't have to ever rely on my offense to determine how I played every night in this league. I didn't have to come out and shoot well. I didn't have to come out and be five for five from three to have a good game. Because if I didn't score, I knew my opponent wasn't going to score which was going to allow me to do what I came there to do in the first place. And I remember him telling me that as a young player when I first came in this league. Never let your offense determine whether you play good or bad in this league. That was the mindset of Michael Jordan, perhaps one of, if not the greatest offensive player. It wasn't a priority for him to score. I admire what James Harden is doing right now. It is an incredible offensive display. But 23 was something entirely different. He didn't come here to score. He didn't come here to, he wasn't concerned about that. He came here, he found joy in stopping you and never ever running away from his matchup. And that to me was just, I don't know why he shared that with me, but I remember it. it. It gave me so much confidence as a player to say, I don't have to shoot well to say that I play well. Your performance will not be based on your field goal percentage. And I thought, but he had every right because he was going to score 30 points a game. Right. The 40 points he wasn't impressed with. The fact that he held the other guy. And that goes back to your thoughts on, I want competitors. I'm not going to start with just shooters. I want competitors. I want guys that are going to compete every night. And I think that was obviously the the DNA of your teams was was competing because some of those games back then and obviously different era the rules are different but you know some of those scores in the 90s weren't pretty and if you're holding no. if you're holding the other team it, it, it doesn't matter if you're in the hundreds or you're in the 80s it, it, it's yeah. about the end result yeah we again the game was a little bit more physical because those were the rules yep. those were the rules of the game right you could hold you could hand check you could do things and and the physicality of the game was a little different than it is today. Doesn't make it better, doesn't make it worse, but that, those were the rules. And, and players and coaches and the people that played and coached during that time, they were going to take advantage of the rules, just like today. Um, but we all knew that if we were going to play in that era, you had to get stops. And the better you were on the defensive end, it allowed you to 
have a increase your opportunity or chances to win in that game. So just a different era and uh we enjoyed it sometime i look at it and i cringe to think how did why did we play with that level of physicality but that was how the game was played i I didn't think about it then and i watch it now and then you watch a game today you go oh well you know it's just you know the the rules have changed and i think they've changed and evolved for the for the better you know it was you know the you know, why should you be able to just foul someone like that? I mean, you were really putting someone at risk, Yes. you know, with injuries and so forth. And you never want to hurt anyone, right? Even uh, back then, you didn't want to – you never wanted anyone to get hurt, all right? But you fouled them really hard, but you didn't want them to get hurt, so – well, that no that that no layups rule that that 80s into 90s and, yep. you know, it rubbed – you know, I'm 40 years old. It rubbed off on me as a kid, like at a very young age. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but um, how that played to kids and kids that love the game and watch the game and emulated what they were seeing on the floor, it had a huge impact. Just like today, kids are watching Steph and Harden and Kyrie and obviously LeBron and Durant and all the beautiful things they do with the basketball, and they're emulating that. But I think, I think the game is a, in a great place. All right, so every show that we do, I am going to have something to throw at you with zero heads up, zero scouting report that ties us back to the 90s, which is such an influential decade on the league overall. Uh, And we were just talking about a little bit with style of play and physicality. And what I want to throw at you today to start is, in the 90s, who is the guy that you loved the challenge of playing against? Your position, whether you faced him four or five times a year in the East or only twice a year in the West, but who was the guy that you loved going up against the most back in your day and why? Well, well, the first thing I'll say before answering the question is I loved every night having an opportunity to play in in that league. And it took me about two games to figure that out, okay? It took me two games to really figure out that before I named the person that I, you know, I admired, I coveted, I was like, I was focused in. It took me two games to figure out that everyone in that league is really, really, really good. And if I just said this person is good and and, and not – prepare the same way for this person over here that I was going to be in trouble. That took me about two games. Uh, The player that I enjoyed, I looked forward to playing against the most was Isaiah Thomas. Um, I grew up in Detroit. I watched him as a rookie. I was able to see him and his growth and develop as a young player. Um, And he was a player that I admired greatly because of his ability to manage a game. Um, I first got into the point guard position. I watched another young player in high school by the name of Irving Johnson, who grew up in Lansing. You know, Magic Johnson. I've heard of him. Yeah, you've heard of him. You know, so you've we, got we, so you've got Magic in Lansing. You've got yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah in, in Chicago, Chicago, and then they both go to Big Ten schools, they, which is eventually right, where right. you went. And so, Young Buck, as we called Magic then, or they called him then, because he's a little older than me. I was always impressed with the ability of how you manage a game. Like, how do you manage a game? while playing in the game. I was just intrigued by the concept. I have no idea. To this day, I'm still intrigued by watching players like Jason Kidd and players who figure out how to play and they don't have to score or do anything else, but they can manage a game. Isaiah Thomas was the player for me that did that for me. I couldn't wait to play against him because I knew how good he was, but I just wanted to see it and experience it in an actual game. And he was better than advertised because not only could he manage the game, he could score. He probably was Allen Iverson before Allen Iverson. But he took the game and he managed all the other parts of the game 
and he integrated his talent into the team. Uh, Allen Iverson was a phenomenal offensive player, and I had a chance to play against Allen, and look, the, that kid can score. I mean, he could, he was tough, durable, he was unbelievable, but he never learned how to manage the game. And I used to always tell Bubba, Bubba Chuck is what they called him, I said, Bubba, if you ever played the point guard position and managed it, as phenomenal as you are as a, a two guard, who could really guard you as a, as a point guard? Uh, and I thought Isaiah was able to do that. He, he was able to pick and choose when he wanted to just be a scorer, when he wanted to be a facilitator. Defensively, he could, he could push up and apply the pressure. And most importantly, he knew how to, to really – he was like a card dealer. He knew how to create the flow of the game. And he was the player that I, 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 I saw how good he was offensively, but he didn't always show you what he could really do. He probably – he without question, he could average 25 to 30 points in this game. Right. But in order for that team, team to get the, the championship, championship level – He did what he had to do. Um, and the player who taught me how good players really was, was, and I remember him as well, was this player by the name of Steve Coulter. Steve Coulter, for the most part, was probably a backup throughout his career. But he was a really, really good player. And he had this one move where he would throw it behind his back. I don't know how he would do it. And that's when I learned to respect not only the Isaiah Thomases and the Magic Johnsons and you know, all of the great players – but I learned to respect every single player that got on a uniform. Even if I don't know you or never played against you or maybe this is your first year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you with the same respect I would treat <laughs> Larry Bird because everyone is really good up here. So um, Steve Coulter taught me a great lesson. Isaiah Thomas probably got all the recognition. But, you know, everyone in this league is edible. Everyone in this league, you can get torched. And you have to learn to respect this league. And uh, I'm thankful that I learned that lesson very, very early in my career. Great show, my friend. This thank you. It's, uh, I, hey, thank you. This has been great. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, number two, episode number two. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.